0: Don't mess up your gear by taping down knobs or marking your settings. With Lock Knob, you can lock down your settings and protect them from unwanted movement. You'll never lose your signature sound.
1: Sounded good all the way in the West Coast. Hey everyone, this is Chris Keys for Premier Guitar. I'm hanging out in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm joined today by Carlos from Chicano Batman all the way in LA. How are you doing, Carlos?
0: I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to be here.
1: This is a treat. I, I know that I've had it circled several times when you guys have come through uh, Nashville. I've, I've seen you play at Exit In, so I'm glad to make this oh, wow. happen. And so, uh, on, you know, under the current circumstances, but funny enough, I think it's two or three weeks ago now. I did a rig rundown with Jim Ward, and I asked him, "Hey, if anyone that you know that could either be you know qualified to do one of these and also want to do it, and the only name he gave me was yours." And I was like, I "Already got it in the works." But it was cool that Jim <laughs> gave you the shout out.
0: Yeah, Jim. Jim's a sweetheart. He's a he's been a big supporter of our band for many years. He um, he owns like one of the premier venues in um, in in El Paso, and we would make our way there playing like. To 20 people the first time and then a hundred people the next time and then it just kept growing and before we knew it we were playing we grew out of the small club into the the theater and um yeah I actually talked to him the very last time we played there and expressed to him how influential at the drive-in and Sparta was to me as a guitarist in my when I was a teenager and he was very surprised he was like wow I didn't no idea, you know, that I made an impact like that on you. I was like, no, I was like, I had like a photo of you and Omar like on my, on my wall, like in a, a ripped out of a guitar world.
1: <laughs> it's funny how he, yeah, he was very nonchalant about his impact, even whether it's guitar playing, which he, he definitely poo-poos and self-deprecates. But even as a songwriter, he was very, just unbel- he, he didn't believe that people could be struck by his music in such a positive manner.
0: Yeah, he's very, very modest, like yeah. very, very modest, and it's just like, no, man, you, you changed, like, music. Like, your band changed music uh, 20 years ago. I know that for a fact.
1: Well, speaking of changing music, we're going to use that as a segue. It's to get into you, because you and your uh, bandmates are bringing funk to to the forefront again, and I, I'm digging it, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of Funkadelic. The first three records are impeccable, so uh, I, I love oh, yeah. to hear that in the music today, and it, it especially in these kind of dark times, this is uplifting fun music and uh thank you thank you well congratulations on the new record it came out in may i believe invisible people yes and uh so let's just dive right into it i know that you have like an assortment of guitars i've seen you with strats offsets you know uh, jags and jazz masters you got some beauties behind you from ernie ball so let's just dive in and talk to me about what's in your hands
0: yeah, so what's in my hands right now is uh, it's an early 65 uh, original Jaguar, Fender Jaguar. And um, I bought this off, um, his name was Scott White. He was an actor. And he was like on That 70s Show and a couple other uh, shows. And he's just a working actor. And I saw, I was looking for a, a vintage Jaguar for a while. And I saw that someone had one for sale and I think it was Santa Monica or Venice. And I called him up and he was, uh, he was really nice and he offered me a great deal on it. And I went to try it out and I was just like, all right, this is what I'm looking for. And what I look for in a vintage guitar is, um, that the neck lacquer is like worn down, like perfectly. I I just can't stand those sticky necks anymore. Um, like just having like thick lacquer, you know, and on this guitar, um, it's just, it's so smooth. It's like effortless to play. And, um, that was, as soon as it passed that test. I was like, okay, let's see how it sounds. And it sounded great. And I took it home. Yeah. And I've, uh, I used it on invisible people, a couple tracks. I think I know it, the guitar. Uh, I played guitar with it on that one and uh, a couple other tracks, um, maybe even invisible people and pink elephant. Cause I needed that like spankier sound.
1: What what originally drew you to the offsets? Whether it was the Jag that's in your hands, I've seen you with some jazz masters as well. What what drew you to those particular guitars?
0: You know, I I always liked Strats, and I played Strats for a long time. And I always felt like I played Strats because I was being told you're supposed to play Strats. You know, like it's like it's the Hendrix guitar, and I'm a Hendrix, you know, big fan like a lot of guitar players. But, you know, just something about them, like, I always felt like, I love strats, um, but I was always, like, fighting for them, like, always could never get the sound that I wanted with the style I played, and I I think they go really well with blues players and, um, you know, that style where they use the the neck pickup a lot, but I never approached it that way. I come from the school of, um, like, I like uh, television, so I think being into Tom Verlaine and seeing that he had an offset, that was like probably my first time I kind of started paying attention to them and noting at the time that, you know, they were always generally more affordable than, than, uh, than the strats. Um, yeah, it just seemed like this was the closest I can get to like a vintage guitar. It was going to be an offset, like a good vintage guitar. Uh, it was going to be an offset fender because they're just, they're not $20,000 like a, like a, a vintage strat, you know? Yeah. And so, um, that was definitely, economics was another thing. But um, I just, once I started playing them, um, I just love, like, the, the spank the, that, the, that the bridge gives. And I know a lot of people change out the bridge for, like, Mastery and um, I forget the other brand that makes, like a, like, a Mustang-type bridge. I feel it changes the tone a lot. And um, for me, I love that, 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 like, you can do stuff like, oops, let me see it just has like that like that that spank i don't know how to explain it um so i definitely like that i thought it was funky and um i love the the vibrato that it's like uh it's a different type of uh vibrato than than the strat um it just it doesn't go as deep and so it's really cool for like just like you know chord bends you know? Just real subtle stuff like that, like that that swipe warble you get. Um, I, I dig it.
1: What how would you say like your maybe going from guitar to guitar impacts how you play? Is it do you play each guitar differently or you know, in a in a pinch you have to play the cutlass next to you for songs normally associated with the Jaguar Jazz Master?
0: Yeah, so for me, I've never been the type of player that will switch out, like, a guitar mid-set for a certain song. Like, I just, I have to, like, get used to a guitar for, like, a little bit. Like, even this guitar, I just started playing it again. It's been in storage for for quite some time, and I took it out of storage. And um, it took me a little bit, you know, like a day to just get comfortable and reconnect with it and be familiar with it. And once I did, I was like, oh, this is so much fun. And um, so I started playing... um, this uh it's a stingray actually and um because these guitars they're a lot of fun and i've taken them on tour and the thing about taking a vintage guitar on tour is you have to have your eye on it at all times you know and um it's just the name of the game these these things get stolen a lot you know i would never leave this in the van or the sprinter um even in the tour bus when we when we did some tours with when we have a tour bus I would take it out of the, the cargo area just because they're, they're, they're sensitive to, like, temperature fluctuations and, you know, especially with the bridge. Um, sometimes the saddles fall or, you know, little issues like that. These little intricacies that make it what it is, you know, for, um, even though they could be seen as, like, something that's, uh, like, negative, it adds to the, the character of the guitar and the sound. But anyways, I digress. Um, I wanted a guitar that was more stable and something that I didn't have to worry about uh, at all times and take with me to the hotel room. And so I i forgot how I started looking at these music mans. I think I i saw an advertisement online and um, that stingray caught my eye, the color of the buttercream um, uh, white. And I, I just liked the way it looked. And I went to a guitar center and they had one there. And I played it and it played very familiar. It played like the fenders that I'm comfortable with. It actually plays like a jazz master to be honest. Like the 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 way the body sits and the the neck, it's like 25 and a half uh scale. And uh it just felt familiar, but I felt like um it just it was reliable. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't have to worry about my saddle falling like mid-show, you know, like like it's ha- has happened <laughs> before, you know. And then that being like a bummer of uh, you know. Um so I just started playing it, and it sounded really great. Even though it has humbuckers, that one specifically, um, they don't sound too hot. They sound like kind of like overwound, like single coils, a little bit. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know. I really don't know what's going on with those third, the Ernie Ball humbuckers on that on that model, but it didn't feel too distant from playing a Jaguar or a Jazzmaster, and um, I like that familiarity. And again, like I said, they have. Ernie Ball is really well known for their their necks. They make them so like the neck is super smooth. Mm -hmm. It's like gun wax oil or something they they call it. And um, just the playability was just amazing. And um, I just figured after so many years of playing shows live, it was like, why would I always have to like fight with my instrument? You know, when there's good instruments out there, you just have to put aside this notion of if it's not vintage, it's not good. You know, which some of us guitar players buy into a little too much. And um, yeah, I went for it. And also some of it had to do with, we did a show with um, with Jack White on his uh, Boarding House Reach tour. We were touring with um, Portugal the Man and our show in North Carolina got canceled because of a hurricane. And we had just played a show in New Orleans and we found out that a couple days later, Jack White had a spot open, I think a band dropped out that, w- that was gonna open the show in Lafayette. So we ended up getting the gig and we've, with jack white before about four years earlier um so we went to go play the show i was talking to him after the show and i was like hey i noticed you're playing like you know like the saint vincent guitar and the evh yeah you know how is that and and he was just like man he's like i can't even play my vintage guitars anymore because i don't understand how i played them for so long because they're so difficult to play once you play like a new guitar that's you know that's been the the design has been improved upon you know and I, I, that stuck with me, and I was like, you know, this guy is such a... People associate him with like, such like, vintage stuff, like his equipment, and the fact that he was able to like, get out of that, and see something for um, what its usefulness was, and put aside that kind of like, idea of like, if it's not old, it's not good. I thought that was cool, and it, it struck with me, because I kind of was in that mindset a little bit too. Once I started playing vintage guitars, one of my techs actually was a uh, works with them. Uh, he's um, he's um, Lair from Primus's tech. Oh, okay. And they have like there's like a there's like a connection with Ernie Ball. I'm not sure how, but he connected me with the Ernie Ball rep, and they were familiar with Chicano Batman. And I met with them, and I got to try out the guitars, and I really liked their 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 whole perspective of improving on these like tried and true designs to just make them as as best as they can be. And they were a great company to really just start working with. So I started picking those up. And there's a, those are going to be like my live show guitars.
1: Gotcha. And and, and not to put down Ernie Ball or the Cutlass. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Cutlass, the Stingray. The Stingray, in terms of its notoriety, but maybe also like you're getting at with Jack White. Jack White was associated with those old guitars. Um, and then he comes out with the Flying V I saw him play. I saw, like you're saying, I saw him play like a Telecaster with some uh, benders on it. Then uh, John Mayer played Jackson's like more recently in the last couple of years. So it's we get in our head as guitar players like, well, you know, David Gilmour played Strat, so that's you know Strat, and you know, Jimmy Page played Tellys and, and Les Pauls, and that's that's what we think of tone or quality instruments in, in a regard or, or a certain instance. So that way you can almost approach the instrument in a fresher sense because you don't have those. I guess mountains set in front of you that they've already created through their through their legacy
0: exactly it's such a it's such a open canvas because i I don't know who's who's played a stingray you know that's that's very well known yet I don't know if um so that's cool because that means you know that whoever gets one they could be that next person to make it identifiable for a certain sound you know what have you and um yeah, I just I started thinking about like you think about cars it's like there's people that love old cars like old mustangs you know and um camaros and that whole vibe and then there's people that love teslas which are cutting edge sleek brand new i don't know i started getting into that headspace of like that more modern look and i think part of it had to do with the whole sea change for the group in terms of changing our sound up for this new record you know it was definitely supposed to be Let's take our, our, our past influences and try to, try to make a more of a, a more modern sounding record than we've ever had. And I felt like playing more modern guitars would kind of go hand in hand with that whole, um, that whole um, uh, approach.
1: Do you want to, I don't know if it's too big of a hassle, but I'd love to hear the Stingray in comparison to the Jaguar. Can you plug it yeah, in? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's hear it, yeah.
0: I'm trying to see what happened with my my signal. I felt like it dropped a little bit. So this is the, the Jaguar. See, maybe.
1: And as you put that one away and grab the Stingray, Carlos, is there anything that you've done to that 65? Uh, the pickups, are they original?
0: Yeah, they're, it's all original. Okay. Um, I didn't do anything. I have an amazing guitar uh, tech that I work with at Future Music here in Highland Park. His name's Jason. And he's just incredible. Like, he does the best setups. I don't have to worry about fretting out, even though it's a seven and a quarter neck radius, which I've always had to deal with playing fenders that are vintage style, reissue or not. And um, yeah, he just knows how to do it. I don't know what his magic is, but he, he gets in there and makes it super playable, gets the action very low, which I always thought I had to do with high action because of the fretting out issues I would have with um, guitars of that radius. Somehow he cracked the code and the action is very low and it doesn't fret out and it's incredible.
1: Cool, well let, let's, yeah, let's hear some of what the, the Stingray can do.
0: Kind of, sounds kind of familiar, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's it sounds like a, a Fender. I hate to say it because, you know, they try not to say, like, the... I know in their advertisement they try not to, like, give a nod to, like, where the design comes from. But let's be honest. I mean, Fender, Leo Fender went and started Music Man after Fender. And, yeah. you know, he took his he took his design and, and improved upon it. And it sounds like that, but with, with no hum. You know?
1: Yeah, so have you you've alluded to I've seen in, uh, in other interviews is that you you prefer the single coils for the chime, but you, you're you're bonding quite well with the humbucker so far, huh?
0: Yeah, I, I tend to use the the middle the middle uh, pickup because it does have a little more like of that you know it kind of has like that single coil reminiscence. I don't know how, what they did here, but um, I dig it. It's such a great guitar, and it just it plays so wonderful. And I know people, guitar players tend to be a conservative bunch when it comes to like equipment, you know, like it's vintage or it's not good. And I really, I got, I played totally into that whole mindset. And I I mean, I love my vintage guitars, but I started thinking about it and just approaching it as like, you know, why is it only that? And you know, that's the end all be all like, you know, I need to be more open-minded about things and if it plays good, it feels good, and it sounds good, it is good, yeah. you know, and um, once I started really having that approach in mind, um, I just, I fell in love with these, these guitars and their design, and I really think they're, uh, they're really leading the way, and they're really super um, underrated, but I think people are going to eventually see that these guitars are, are great guitars to to take on the road and make music with,
1: yeah, I mean they, like you said, they're kind of their their roster's always been strong with the strings, but their guitars have been always, you know, like Petrucci comes to mind in terms of signature with Dream Theater, but like they've added Omar, Annie Clark from Saint Vincent, uh, James Valentine from Ruin Five, so they're they're yeah. really bringing those instruments to the forefront and really well, wide a wider range of players too.
0: Yeah, my, my my bassist is one of those vintage purists. Like he's been playing like a SG bass from like the '60s forever. Like he's had a couple stolen, and he always replaces it with like a early '70s, late '60s one. And I was like, man, you should really try out this old smoothie bass that Ernie bought. Ba- the Music Man company has like it's like it's a pretty funky bass, and he held out for so long. And I finally was able to convince him to go with me to to Music Man in Burbank, their showroom, and introduced him to Tim Dove and um, the artist rep and he was like wow this thing sounds amazing and uh he ended up getting one
1: <laughs> well i saw it on the the most recent tiny desk that you guys did the stay home version of the the tiny desk and he was playing that right oh yeah
0: yeah yeah He was playing that he loves it he's just like wow this playability like i've been missing out for so long his guitar is like it literally has like a neck warp that's not fixable so he just has to compensate by having very high action and setting up the intonation to to work with that, so he's he's used to like literally like having his fingers bleed sometimes to play this bass, and now he's in a place where it's just effortless, you know. You don't have to think about it.
1: Well, cool, man. What else do you dig about the guitar? Maybe you can sh- show us what you how you play and what you might use it for when you either solo the bridge or the neck pickup.
0: Yeah. So a lot of times, um, I'm trying to think of what songs uh, we have. Uh I usually... So, like, we have a song off our, our, our third record, Freedom Is Free, and I would use something like for the intro, like... I would use, like, the middle pickup because it's spanky for the clean. And then once the, uh, like the melody would kick in, I would probably move to, like, the, the bridge. Just so I can cut through a little bit, you know? So, usually I use the bridge for melodies, and I'll use um, the bridge for solos.
1: Okay. Cool, and and I want to jump to the next Ernie Ball next to you because I saw yeah. that's the guitar you used during the, the Stay Home one, the Gold Sparkle.
0: Yeah. So once I started that relationship with Ernie Ball, um, they were kind enough, same thing with Eduardo's uh, bass, to to build us whatever kind of guitar uh, we wanted. Um, and that was amazing. Um, so I was I wanted to get something that was different than the Stingray. I was like, well, instead of getting another Stingray, why don't I see what else they got? And like I said, I saw that St Vincent and Omar have been playing the Albert Lees for a while yeah and i I played one at the showroom and it just played so so great I like that it was kind of small because I'm kind of a small guy I'm not too big and um, the shape really f- felt familiar to me also like I kind of felt like it was like an offset the way the the bridge and the the neck come together just my body placement like it's just like it was familiar which I like I, I don't like playing guitars where, like, it's unfamiliar and I have to think about it. This one uh, was not that. And so um, I looked at the options they had, and I saw that they had, like, a one-off, which was, like, a gold sparkle. But it didn't have uh, – it was a hardtail. It was a fixed bridge. And I need a I need a tremolo. I need a whammy. Yeah. So I asked them, like, can you make me one with a whammy and with a ebony fretboard? And they said, well, let us talk to the – to the engineering department, and we'll see what we can do. And heard back from them a couple weeks later, like, yeah, we can do it. And so um, they made the guitar, and uh, it's a great guitar. It took some getting used to because the the humbuckers are so hot. Like I've never played a guitar. <laughs> I've never played a guitar where the humbuckers slammed the amp so hard. Where like it's like I'm used to playing something, let's say on volume three, and it's familiar. Mm-hmm. On this thing at volume three, it sounds like it's volume six, you know?
1: <laughs> Which is, I, I wonder if that's more of a, a player demand, because I don't know if, Al, I, mean, I could be completely wrong, but I don't, do, Albert Lee doesn't strike me as a guy that wants hot humbuckers, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah, I, 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 asked, I asked Tim that. I was like, did Albert Lee want these humbuckers? He's like, those are the humbuckers he wanted. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, but I think Albert Lee only plays the, the two and four position, like the single coil. um I tend to use those. Those are like the um, the uh, familiar sounds, kind of like Fenderish, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the two position, and then I have I have some compression on, so it's kind of the nuance is a little it's a, it's a little nuanced, but um, uh, yeah, it sounds good, and then that's the bridge is hot. That 's the bridge and they just well, sound really fat.
1: what was behind the idea of asking for the ebony fretboard? What, why do you prefer that or request that
0: Because I was talking to them about playing the the Omar guitar uh the the mariposa i I saw that they had that and i I played it, and I liked the. The ebony fretboard gave it like this like kind of like um this like little bit of warmth and like um softness to it less it wasn't like shrill and bright you know and um I've never played a guitar with ebony fretboard when I played the the mariposa i was I was digging the the way it felt, so I was like, man, let's try ebony fretboard <laughs> and um yeah it's, it's worked
1: cool, and um I asked just to give equal love. I'd love for you to plug in that other Fender there and then yeah, of course, hear that. Now with this Fender you're plugging in here through the camera, it looks like it's an Olympic white. Has that been used on recordings or used live or how has that been part of your arsenal?
0: Yeah, I've used this one only live. I, for Invisible People, the album, I tracked the whole record with my 65 Sunburst Jaguar and I had a 1962, um, slab board, all original Sunburst, uh, Fender Jazzmaster, and I tracked the whole record with both those guitars, and, um, yeah, so this one I purchased after the recording of that record, I was just on Chicago Music Exchange, and they had a slab board, uh, Fender Jaguar, which is really rare, there's only, like, two months worth of slab board Jaguars, because they stopped making slab board in, uh, early 62, Mm -hmm. and, um, because this was a refinish um it was a very affordable slab board and i just snatched it up as soon as i saw it because i thought it was a steal and it's a cool paint job it's not like it looks like it's another nitro refinish from some time ago because it's it's pretty beat up um and like i said it, i i made sure i called and i was like is the neck worn and they're like yeah the neck's worn." there's no like stickiness i was like all right send it to me and um I think they replaced some, some wiring, but everything's supposed to be original on it, and uh, this one sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, it just has like that. It's a little more warmth, has more warmth than that Jaguar, which is very bright.
1: How did you uh, decide when to use the Jazzmaster, the 62, and then your, your Sunburst Jaguar in the recording of his Invisible People? Was it uh, the Jag was always for rhythms and the jazz was for solos, or was it kind of just tossed up between all the songs?
0: So at the time that we made that record, like I was in love with that 62 Jazzmaster. And um, that was just like the one I went to. There was really no no science behind it. It was just like, all right, I recorded that song with this guitar. I'm gonna track this one because maybe let's say we did two track two songs in one day. If I recorded the Jazzmaster with this, that's the first song that day. I'm like, all right, so I can have a different tone, and it doesn't sound like I recorded the whole record with the same guitar. Mm-hmm. I would change the amp and then change that to that guitar. So it was always like different tones, you know. And I would try to just Um, uh, mold the tone to fix to fit the you know the vibe of the song
1: what uh, strings before move on anymore move on to like amps and pedals what strings are you using strings and picks
0: yeah I've been using Ernie Ball slinkies for regular slinkies like my whole life it's just you know you always read the back and it always had your favorite bands using them so I was like all right if it's good enough for them like it's good enough for me but really the truth is like We've played so many shows, I've honestly probably broken strings like five times ever uh, at a show. And I would say three out of those five times, it's because I was using a a guitar and I never changed the stock strings. So they weren't Ernie Ball strings. They were like whatever was on the the, whatever brand was on that guitar when I bought it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I just use them for reliability. And I just, I, you can't go wrong with them. They don't, they don't break. What gauge do you Very use? Very rarely. I use tens. Okay. Tens.
1: What about amps? I've seen you, and I don't know how much of this has been backlined, but I've seen you with Marshalls. I've seen you with uh, Fenders. I've seen you with Voxes. Uh, so where are you sitting now, and what have we been hearing so far?
0: So, you know, Chris, having this conversation with you is, like, really bringing out the fact that I pretty much have ADHD when it comes to, like, tone. Like, I'm always looking for for that for that sound. And... You're coming to years, the right place. Played, You're with your people here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So for years I played, um, I have a Fender Pro Sonic, uh, a Bre- uh, Bruce Zinke custom, sh- custom shop Fender amp that they made in like 96, 97 for a couple years. And I have one of the first models. And I bought that because I heard that it was like <clears throat> tonally very similar to like a Vox AC30 melded with a, a Fender Deluxe Reverb, which are like two of my favorite amps. And it does sound like that. And so I used that for years Um, when Chicano Batman used to play like very loud. In the old days when we'd play like clubs and there wouldn't even be a PA for the guitar. You know, it was like the perfect amp for like just cranking it. We'd play like a bar gig and all that was mic'd was the, the vocals and the kick drum. I would take that amp. And, you know, once we ended up getting to a level where we're playing really nice venues with Amazing sound, and we have a sound man, etc., and we have monitors. Um, it just kind of didn't make sense to bring that that amp along because it's it's so loud. You literally, I could literally only play it like at two, and I'm too loud. Um, so you know, as most guitar players know, you you got to open up the you got to open up the amp a little bit to get like the the sweet tone, and that usually sits around like the four and five position for me. Um, That's where I like getting my amps like right on the cusp of breakup, Just right before they break up, I tend to find that's when like the the tone is the fattest, the warmest. Um, So I was playing with that one for a while. And then I think I was using Deluxe Reverbs for a while because they were small and the wattage was good. But something about like the scoop sound was just something I always was like fighting with. And I, I think they're beautiful amps for recording and I've used them for recording. But playing live, especially when we have a lot of keyboards in our band, um, those keyboards are, they sit in the mix with so much mid range. They just obliterate like any thing in its way. My guitar would a scoop sound because there's no mid range on these deluxe reverbs that, um, it was just, I needed to find something different. And so I started playing Voxes for a while, AC30s. And, um, I ended up linking up with the people from, from Vox and they've been great. And they've, uh, you know they've been helping me get some some AC 30s to uh, take on the road for the tour that was supposed to happen um, in 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 April. Unfortunately, obviously, there's no tour this year. But um, I still have that relationship with them, and I really look forward to playing like a handwired again an AC 30 on on the road. But um, those are my live show guitars. In between in between that, I was playing a Marshall hand wired. Uh, it's like a twenty. 61X, I think it's called. It's like a 20-watt head with, like, a 2x12 little cab that looks yeah, like a miniature. Yeah, it's a, a Kind of t- like a lunchbox almost. Yeah. I, I have one of those. I had a JTM hand-wired 30-watt, uh, uh, a reissue, that is supposed to be, like, the holy grail of tone, and maybe it is for, like, high gain or just, like, that crunch. Not even high gain, because they don't get that dirty, but just to get, like, that, you know, that blues breaker sound, I guess, that people want. I don't play with that kind of tone. I I I bought these Fender's cuz they had uh excuse me, these Marshalls because they have great clean tones. And um I just couldn't I couldn't just mesh with it for some reason, even though I took it on a, i took it on a whole tour and I was like I'm going to, you know, get to know this thing and maybe it's just a matter of trying it. And I I did. And I don't know, something it just didn't work out for me. So, I ended up selling that. Um but the 2061X is more like my vibe. Um, I've used those on tours. But um for recording, um, I use small amps like i have a I have a sixty four Princeton amp that looks uh, like a blackface uh, Princeton, no reverb, but it's the it's the brownface circuit, so it's that transition year okay. where Fender was putting the old circuit in a new uh, cosmetic look. I use that on a lot of the record. I think Invisible People was tracked with this amp, um, and then I have behind me. You can't see it, but it's a, a all original '65 uh, Fender Princeton, a non reverb. Um, so even though they're only a year apart, they're very different, different tonally. This one's very clean, and it sounds like that scooped deluxe reverb kind of sound from the, the '60s. Um, here I have a, a Tone King, which I I was uh, visiting family in in Virginia. My wife's family lives out there, and We were staying with them for like uh, two weeks and I didn't bring an instrument with me. And I was like, oh, I need to play a guitar. So I went to I found the local guitar center in Fairfax and went over there and I saw this thing and um, I thought it looked kind of funny. I mean, it looks real 50s, you know, which that aesthetic doesn't really do much for me, you know, but I wasn't going to judge a book by its cover. So I I just tried it because I've heard so much about them. And I fell in love with the amp. It just has, um, it's like a Fender Deluxe Reverb Killer. Like it has great highs, great lows, has just a bunch of warmth. And he just, the I forget the name of the, the man that runs the company, but I was doing research about him and he was like, you need to have these amps on the floor because that's what they're made for. You can't have it elevated. It needs to be on the floor so that you can get the most out of the cabinet design and how the speaker interacts with the the sound and he's he's absolutely true i mean it it's just so fat and warm sounding i also have a, a vox ac10 which i've been tracking with and it's cool it sounds great it's a great little uh amp for practicing and even recording it has a closed back which i appreciate because it gives it a little more like it gives the bass frequencies a, a, a it makes them sound a little more full than what you don't usually get with like a vox amp because they always have the open back so i thought that was cool and um I, I use that on the Tiny Desk performance. I recorded with that. And uh, yeah, these are the amps I've been using during COVID, you know, at home. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of content where we need to record uh, stuff and, you know, just to change it up so it's not always the same tone. I'm changing guitars and changing amps and trying different preamps uh, with, my, with my DAW, you know, just to make it interesting and fun.
1: All right, well, I think this is time that we should talk, start talking about your pedal board and what you've got going down on the floor.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you can see, um, maybe I can show like a photo later, but um, this is my, my pedal board I've been using for quite some time. It's really in need of a overhaul. I've been talking with a, a couple people that make professional pedal boards. This is my straight up DIY pedal board. And um, I would like to eventually get maybe some channel switching because I'm really like tap dancing up there sometimes when I got a hit slap back and Uh, Tremolo, and then my Analog Man man boost. So uh, that's something to come. But for right now, this is what I've been using live uh, for many years and what I record with. And uh, my, my path is usually going into a wah. I have a Clyde McCoy Dunlop wah, which we use for a lot of the older songs that require that. And yeah, then it goes what do you into, look for in a while? Yeah.
1: Sorry to cut you off there, Carlos, but what do you no, look no, no, for no. in a while? Because it was so, it is such a vital part of your your earlier sound.
0: Well, a lot of the, a lot of like the stock Dunlop was t- t- tend to be a little like shrill, like on the high end, you know, and that Clyde McCoy just has like a very vocal like sounding uh, characteristic, like it sounds like a human voice, you know, which I think is what they advertise it as one of its uh, strengths. And, um, I, I got that because it was, uh, it was just the sound I was looking for. It was really like, um, it just, I could, I could put the toe down and it wouldn't be overly bright, you know, which is, uh, which was, which was important for me. And, um, that's why I got that one.
1: All right. And what else you got going there starting? You said the wah, and then after the wah.
0: Yeah, so then it goes into Earthquaker Devices. uh, It's a Terminal Fuzz, I think it's called. And I use that because Chicano Batman was going to play a festival, um, Levitation Fest in Austin. It used to be called maybe Psych Fest. I don't think It used to be called that. Um, We were going to play one year, and this crazy storm happened and canceled the uh, the whole festival for the weekend. It, like, flooded all of Austin. And they had some makeup shows at some indoor venues. And one of the makeup shows ended up being with the ARCs. The ARCs, uh, Dan Auerbach chose us and La Luz to open for him. And we went, we were already in Austin and the show got canceled. And then we ended up playing with the ARCs, which is a, a group that our producer, Leon Michaels, was a part of with Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys. And I was talking to Dan, Dan's uh, guitar tech and I was like, what fuzz was he using? That's such a great, like, you know, Japanese-sounding, like, shina- shine fuzz. And he was like, oh, he's using the the terminal fuzz. And so I went and bought one, like, the next day. <laughs> and um, it's just such a great sound. It's like, um, it's not a fuzz face. It's not a, a big muff. It's that Japanese fuzz sound that's just, I don't know, it's really gnarly sounding. But, yeah, live I use the the terminal fuzz, and I'll make a sound. It's just, it's so great. Like, let me see. <laughs>
1: All right, what else you got down there?
0: Yeah, so after that it goes into a Big Muff, which I kind of use for like, I think like lead stuff. Um when I want like a more smoother, sustaining kind of fuzz, less gnarly, um, I use like a Big Muff. And so I have like the Big Muff Rams head. I have like so many Big Muffs. Um, these are like the reissue ones, the little small enclosure ones. And uh, yeah, it sounds great. This one, I chose this one because it just, it has the perfect mid range. Some of them, the mid range is a little too scooped. Some of them it's too pronounced. This one was uh, was just right. Oftentimes I'll use that with like a delay for like solos. I use like I use it for like stuff like. All
1: right, what's up after the big muff?
0: So after the big muff, right now I have my MXR Sub Machine. I think it's called. It's an octave pedal with a fuzz, and I ordered it through um, through I think it's Dunlop that has MXR. Um, and the rep, the artist rep told me, okay, I can give you like a a modded version, which has, because the, the stock, the stock setting is, you can do an octave up and an octave, two octaves down, but if they do this mod, they can do one octave down. So you have three options. You can have one, two octave down, one octave down, one octave up, and a combination of two of those. And so it has that modification. And I'll show you what that sounds like. Uh, This is just like the regular. That's the two octaves. This is the one octave. And then this is... uh, Octave, two octave down, one octave up.
1: Well, moving on. What, what's up after the, the octave fuzz, the MXR?
0: So after that, the chain, it goes into my tuner. And the reason I have my tuner there is because I noticed that certain fuzzes interact weird with a non-buffered pedal, like a a boss pedal. Um, So, like, if I have a fuzz face and you put a boss pedal before the... If you go into a boss pedal and then a fuzz face, it alters the circuit of... The sound of the circuit of the fuzz face. It makes it really gnarly sounding, which I really like. Um, And I I use it a lot, but um, sometimes... It does that to other fuzz pedals, and just to get it out of the way, I I put it after those pedals now, just so I don't have anything messing up the chain. Um, So I have my Boss chromatic tuner, and after that, it goes into my Catalan Bread Topanga uh, Reverb.
1: Cool. What, What do you like about the Topanga versus any other ones that you've played?
0: I like how it has like a preamp kind of thing, so it kind of warms up the sound a little bit, or just changes it a little bit, so... That's just dry. (laughs) It can do, like, kind of subtle. Like I said, I have a little bit of compression, so it's kind of making it a little more gnarly, but... It just sounds like a, it sounds like a little 63 Fender tube tank, uh, reverb tank.
1: Right on. What else you got next to it? I, I, what's next to a little, it looks like a little pedal.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's my friend in Long Beach, his name's uh, Miguel, and he has a pedal called, uh, a pedal company called Stax FX, and it's a compressor that he made and uh, it was on our, our bass player's uh, board. He also plays guitar, and it was on his guitar pedal board, and he wasn't using it, and I think I needed a compressor for something. And he let me use it, and I just never gave it back, and he was cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I use it for some parts where I just needed to sound a little more extra funky. Let me see. I don't even know if the settings are right. It's been a while since I used it, so bear with me. <laughs> So it kind of gives like a little squishiness and a little a volume boost where I need it on certain parts of the set.
1: Right on. And what's up after that?
0: Okay so after my compressor is um, it goes into a my chain goes into an a, uh, analog delay that is made by Ibanez and it's the the small little pink one.) So after the Analog Man, um, I messed up in telling you my chain because I'm looking at it from left to right, and I realize that it's not wired that way. So one thing I skipped out on that I wanted to bring up is I have an Analog Man King of Tone, and I have the Overdrive. It's an Overdrive pedal. It has two, um, two switches on it, so there's like a clean boost, which is supposed to sound very transparent. It's not supposed to have compression on it like a like a tube screamer or like a traditional overdrive like a boss overdrive it's supposed to sound kind of like you just turned your amp up louder as opposed to a pedal that colors your song your tone when it boosts it so i like that a lot because there's a lot of like intricate little lead parts that i play on the in our in our band and it just makes sure that i'm able to pop through on the mix a little bit and um, sometimes we'll be playing and it might be a little hard for me to hear the part and I just needed to give it that little extra boost for clarity. I always use that. I also use it because um, I like to use it in conjunction with a fuzz. Sometimes a lot of fuzz pedals tend to be like very scooped. And like I had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of keyboards in our band and um, the keyboards tend to occupy that mid range and eat up a lot of the guitar's frequencies. Having my Analog Man on in addition to my fuzz allows it to have some more mid-range. So I'll play it with you. I'll play like a line without the Analog Man, and then with it. And you'll just see it's very subtle. Um, So here's just. I have compression on my DAW right now, so it might not show the the boost in volume but it's there and um here is my 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 terminal fuzz just on by itself here it is with the the way i would use it with the the king of tone It just gives it that like that warmth, that mid-range. I also turn on the second part of it, which is like a more uh, very obvious kind of overdrive. And um, I use that for a couple leads. And um, it sounds like this. Yeah, and that's my, my king of tone.
1: Um, what else do you got yeah. on the pedal board?
0: I have a DD-200 and I started using this uh, cool little pedal because it has banks that you can save presets on. And before, I used to travel with like a like a Memory Man and then a a small another analog delay for slapback, Memory Man for long delays, the Analog Man, uh, excuse me, the Analog Ibanez for slapback, and. uh I just wanted something that could give me different types of delays um, in terms of length, and I like how this one—it's—it's it's a little more easy to dial in, like the note choices in terms of rhythm, and uh, I don't know—it had so many—it had so many emulations. It has a like an analog delay emulation. It has a a Roland Space Echo emulation, and reverse it has so many so many choices and i thought that could be pretty inspiring and help bring out different types of uh sounds depending on the song so it wasn't just always the same long delay like i usually would do for um in the past and so i bought it and uh yeah i'll show you what it sounds like right now it's on the the analog uh setting and i would usually use something like this setting for like a lead so this is it just you can just hear like the the tail I like a lot of, there'll be a lot of Chicano Batman songs where like it'll, the song comes to a climax on like a major seventh chord. And sometimes it's like a, like a very like uh, staccato ending. And I like for the the song to end with like a delay. So it'll be like something like, um, I'm trying to think, like, you know, something like that. It's pretty cool. Um, In terms of like soloing, I'll use it like this.
1: So, I meant, is that with the the muff on there for your solo tone, the muff and the 200?
0: Yeah, it's the muff and the analog man, king of tone, uh, the, the side one, and the DD 200. And then it also has stuff like I've been playing around with, like uh, the Roland Space Echo sound. Um. You could do like that edge, that edge sound like. Which is pretty cool. I haven't really delved too much into it yet, but um, I feel like uh, I could probably use that in a song at some point.
1: And what else do you I think you do you have a you got to have some modulation cuz on I know it on the intro to that or friendship there's some I guess I would guess vibe maybe on that and then I know it going back to that quickly would be like a Leslie or something or phaser.
0: Yeah, so I know it um I tracked that song without any my whole MO for this record because on my past records I was really into like Soul, soul records and the guitar tones on those records would tend to be like, kind of, um, it's always typically um, reverb and tremolo, because that's what was on a Fender amp. So, um, let me show you. So, I would have this kind of tone a lot. But the M.O. for this record was to, to not do that again because we already did it, and for me. And so I wanted to challenge myself and not rely on those tones for inspiration. So I really didn't use very much uh, effects, I didn't use any reverb on the new album. And that was mainly because I wanted the mixing engineer and the producer to really have as much flexibility as they needed to... To mess with the sound. And um, talking about Eddie Hazel, um, it's like something George Clinton would do. He would process the guitar sound afterward, he would add the space echo or the modulation later. And I wanted that flexibility to be available to the producer and the mixing engineer if they needed it. So I recorded I Know It Dry. When I got back the mix, Sean Everett put some some chorus on the guitar to make it sit in the mix really nicely with the keyboards and the rhythms that were happening with the bass and drums. And I had never used chorus before on a recording. I kind of swore it off, to be honest, because I know that's a sound that's very in vogue right now. For It has been for the past five, six years. And I think that was kind of ushered in by like Mac DeMarco, Con and Moccasin, at least to me in the circles I know um, musically I associate that sound with them and it's great. I love it. Um, but I didn't, I just swayed away for it. Uh, I stayed away from it for a while, but when I got the mixes back and I heard chorus on my guitar, I, I dug it and I understood, um, why it was useful for our songs. And, uh, I ended up getting a, a modulation pedal that can, um, have those chorus sounds. So the, the pedal I'm talking about is the MD 200. It's a boss modulation pedal and like the DD 200, it has a bunch of saved presets, and you have the, sp- the boss slicer on there. You have a phase 90 type sound. You have a univibe type sound. You have a CE1 sound. So I use the CE1 on this for any time I need to recreate the sounds from I know it live. So here is, um, here's the CE1 emulation. So here's, the, here's it without it. Sorry, I got to do gymnastics. That's <laughs> all right. Here's the this is how I played the part live, um. and this is the way it sounds on the record.
1: real rich it uh, so that's
0: good. thank you so that's i know it and then you had mentioned um friendship is a small boat in a storm that has like a univibe sound i also use the univibe um one of the few pedals i used um in uh, the recording of invisible people was a univibe they had an actual shenay univibe uh the real deal and um they're obviously very rare and a lot of reproductions aren't really able to emulate the depth that they have because I guess it has like some kind of component that's like illegal now due to environmental regulations um but they had one of those and it was amazing and I use that on a song like um Moment of Joy um there's a lot of parts on that song that to a general music listener it might sound like oh it's synthesizer it's actually my guitar playing a much a, a majority of the the chordal harmony you hear on that song. So the song starts like this, and it's using a univibe, and it's. So that's it without it, and this is it with the univibe. of the the modulation is just it's unbelievable and um, this thing emulates a real univibe really closely which was very surprising and um, I don't know boss got it right with all these analog emulations Um, I mean I can't hear the difference and I don't think the audience can hear the difference when you're playing it live in a theater
1: what else do you have uh, on tap on the modulation pedal that I'm sure goes beyond where we can talk about it today but is there anything else that you currently use it for
0: yeah i mean i have my tremolo on there uh, which i use like on a song uh like uh sorry uh freedom is free um, Yeah, I use that. I also have um, lately I've been using um, this vibrato effect, which sounds really cool with like a delay. I'm I'm really into synthesizers actually, and um, on our new album Invisible People, I wrote a lot of song. The songs I brought to the be- to the fold were actually written on my synthesizers that I had purchased, and I, I have some profit synthesizers, and I love that little like rubbing that they do when you do certain pads, where they're slightly detuned, and they just create like this richness in the mix, and. With that vibrato pedal, I just recently discovered. Like, oh, I can kind of get like that, that kind of feeling of like that slight detuning, but in tune, like going in and out. Um, so that's definitely something I'm gonna play with, probably a little more on some future recordings.
1: Um, man, I, I I do appreciate you joining us as well. Uh, this has been a long chat, but I've I've enjoyed it, and i I know that you're a gearhead, so hopefully you enjoyed yourself as well.
0: I did. Um, I just want to thank you, Chris, for having me and Premier Guitar. Um, always watch the rig Rundowns. it's it's so much fun um i've had a a couple friends on it mark from krungbin did one and he's he's amazing and um you know to be able to be on this show and talk to you is special to me because um i've been a fan for a minute and i really appreciate that you have been a fan of of our work too which was very which was unbeknownst to me and the fact that you were at that that show in nashville two years ago that's pretty cool yeah, and man. I hope to see you at the next one.
1: Yeah, I, whenever it happens and whatever calendar I have to churn the page to get to it, I will be there most certainly. And uh, I can't wait to get Boogie Down.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to it.
1: All right, man. This is Chris. This is for Carlos out in LA. Another rig rundown for Premier Guitar.